Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the critical role of leadership in company culture, more specifically about employee burnout and how leadership needs to address it. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Mark Mori, founder of A Connected Leader. He works to transform outdated and struggling work environments into living systems of learning and growth. Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. So let's uh, looking looking forward to talking here. Let's let's start by talking about company culture and, and leadership's role. Um, so just so we're you know we're all on the same page and, and the listeners um, kind of share our vocabulary here. How do you define company culture? Well, company culture. Um... You know, there's there's all sorts of definitions, but but essentially, this is the the unseen and structured environment that guides people's both strategy, leadership, and operations. You could almost picture those three environments encircled by company culture. It's not just you know things coming out of yeah. HR for better benefit packages. It's unseen things. It's branding. It's uh, rapport and relationships, how people get hired, consistency of values. You know, it's not the values on the wall. It's it's how work gets done. So, you know, I, I take a page from company culture by visiting other cultures. You know, for example, I have quite a few friends that live in Europe and in um Hawaii and indigenous people on this continent and get a strong sense of wow, this is not the same culture that I have and how does it work? And really diving into that uh, inquiry to get a sense how important these invisible, I mean, some structures are visible, but but mostly unseen and uh, undiscussed guiding forms that really create the people inside the culture. Can you give a little, um, a little context on your background as well and just your, you know, how that how that gives you a perspective on on company culture yeah so my my last 25 years has been really seeking to answer a big question which has to do with human connection and what does it take to have a community and a family that's raising children that are highly um, related to their environment, highly related to all the people around them and developing themselves in the best way possible. Meaning like what's possible in the potential of being human. And so in that inquiry, I was looking to solve the problem of disconnection, community isolation, uh, education and institutional problems that didn't quite uh, serve me growing up and noticing a lot of fragmentation in community and fragmentation in our society where people aren't as slow and connected as they used to be. And I think there's some systemic issues and results from that. Like for example, there's a lot of articles on the effect technology has had on children. 
and raising children to the point where the tech heroes out in California, they don't even let their kids use technology to a certain age, right? So there's a lot of stressors and a lot of things that are affecting human development and culture is a, a big aspect of that. So if we were to create an ideal scene of how to raise children and have a thriving family and thriving citizens in our society, how would we do it? And that was my driving uh, quest for the last 20 years. And it, it led to developing nonprofits and for-profit organizations that specialized in a new kind of education that uh, takes a look at all the ways in which human beings need to connect in order to thrive. Connection to self, connecting to others, competencies around that, and connecting to the living systems that we're a part of, because it's the ultimate context for our role as humans, I think. So that's my context. That's it. I've, after all yeah, that inquiry and, you know, traveling the world and developing leadership programs to offer these uh, courses in schools and internationally, uh, essentially, I was like, oh, we could bring this into the corporate environment because people are spending most of their life there, right? And so how are they doing for company culture and community connection? And and surprisingly, it, it, they're, it's quite poor in most cases. So there's a lot there's a lot of room here for for improving yeah. it. To talk a little bit more about, um, let's dive in a little more in the the living systems um, approach that you talked about, and, and talk a little bit about something current right now that a lot of companies and a lot of leaders are dealing with, which is just you know burnout and some of the cultural, uh, you know, organizational cultural issues that are coming up because of just every everything that's been going on with the with the pandemic, with return to work, with remote work and all of those things. What do you, what do you think can be learned and adapted from living systems that, uh, that applies to, and, and potentially helps us um, find solutions for, for some of these challenges? Yeah. Well, the, you know, we're, we're nested inside living systems, right? I mean, sometimes we might refer to it as nature, but it's not a, it's not an abstract thing. We are part of the living system too. And, developing an ability to observe how the living systems around us adapt to change. You know, it would be an interesting question to say, are the living systems in crisis around us? You know, what paradigm are living systems coming from in terms of solving their problems? (laughs) Uh, And how do we as human deal with crisis and change? (laughs) And so that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at is there's, there's some really deep uh, observable, and um, almost philosophical lessons that can be drawn into how we might design our cultures and communities to to thrive. So, for example, uh, development is a principle of a living system. And when we think about human beings or companies or businesses, we can talk about growth, which is an increase in size, versus development, which is an increase in the quality of connections that that are made. You can have both, but sometimes we mistake growth for development. Often, you know, speed to market and scaling are measures of an effective startup or kind of like reaching a certain level of success in business. But if there isn't development along the way, then it starts to become an underperforming environment. And the quality of connections drop. And if people aren't compensated in ways besides just 
financially, I think they start to experience the um, the the side effects or the the secondary effects, which might be health issues, mental health issues, feeling isolated, uh, trying to make up for it in other ways. So when we look at living systems, all the aspects that are interrelated are things that have a niche, that have a uniqueness. So another principle of a living system would be the notion of essence. What is the essential uniqueness of a certain species interacting in the whole? And when we apply that to communities, we have, a, I think, an obligation, because my background is in how do we raise children to become their best self. We have an obligation as a community to recognize that everyone is born unique and but undeveloped. So how do we foster that development towards their best self versus what I impose on them versus like what I want, what I think is best for them. And that makes the whole that they're a part of stronger because now we have this principle of diversity and complexity. If we're all one size fits all solutions, you know, we would just be robots and more of a mechanical worldview. But a living systems worldview accepts that everyone has their own unique path. So the, the structures in a, in a company culture need to be oriented towards that. You know, for example, if you took a leadership development program from a more machine paradigm, you would take uh, uh, something off the shelf with 10 leadership ideas and then worksheets and then run all your employees through the same thing, expecting the same results. And that's not what happens. So yeah. the, 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 the insight here is like, wow, what would it be like to actually design as if we were living systems, as we were unique? And so we have to be working from these principles. How do you, how do you define kind of the breakdown between, you know, what is leadership's responsibility in that? And where does the, you know, what's, what's the responsibility of the employee versus the leader, I guess, is the question. Yeah. You know, I, I think of leadership as a distributed quality, not necessarily a hierarchical one. I know that uh, people can be managers their whole life and never uh, approach leadership. They can certainly be executives and, and be missing out on some of those skills. But if we think of it as a developmental quality, then we can say that we all have a role in making the environment healthier and more thriving. And that includes, you know, towards the strategic objectives of the, of the company. So what we're seeing right now with burnout is uh, there's, it's like an epidemic. The, there's a huge amount of, of research that's been pouring out because of the pandemic that has unearthed a pre-existing problem, uh, a crisis that was already underway. And it, the symptoms of burnout kind of fall into different categories. One would be exhaustion. Another would be um, uh, kind of a social cynicism, which has to do with isolation, feelings of isolation. And the third might be um, a, a drop in self-esteem. So there are ways in which we, you know, companies have a responsibility to address this. Um, but most efforts they're documenting, yeah, Harvard Business Review did a huge article on this, most efforts that companies are trying to solve this are failing. So why is it failing? Well, I believe that, that it's, 
inviting us because it's a crisis already in the making and it's such huge proportions that it's inviting us to actually evolve companies to be more like how human beings and living systems actually operate. So leadership is accepting the tension of a problem and a need, right? And, and a solution that's not here yet and growing to match that tension. So there's an invitation to grow here. So for example, um, leadership development is really strong role is how do you structure an ongoing learning environment at work as work gets done? And, in, and also yeah. placing yourself in that process. So as opposed to I'm outside the process, I'm the leader, I'm the expert. Um, and then of course there's constant change and uncertainty. So you really are not, but you have to now pretend to be or put a buffer between you and your employees and never show them your real self. Leadership is actually accepting that vulnerability and being part of the reciprocity learning environment, meaning I'm in it too. I still have my role as a leader, that I don't relinquish, but I'm actually showing transparently that I'm in a learning process too. And that really changes the way everybody has permission to step into what is their tension that they're reconciling and being invited to grow in. So that takes, that takes time and attention. So it takes leadership to say, we're going to structure a regular learning environment. I'm doing this in Google right now. So for example, a friend of mine there uh, went to his director and he said, what's the number one issue you're concerned about right now? You know, with the pandemic and remote work. And, and he said, uh, manager burnout. And he's seeing that uh, people are underperforming, right? They're, they're sliding into kind of a social isolation issue. They're not uh, replenishing themselves. And I just saw a survey that said 40% of employees are, are actively looking for another job and the executives are unaware of that. So there was a question here of uh, yeah, how I, do we I saw address something this? Similar. Yeah. Have you, have you heard that? Yeah. 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 I've seen, I've seen similar numbers and you know, just that it, some large percentage of that is going to probably change jobs in the next year um, as well. So not only are they looking, but they're, they're not just window shopping. In other words, they're, they're going to, they're going to make some changes. So, maybe, yeah. maybe change their career. Yeah. So I think, I think what's, what's really engaging right now in terms of leadership, company culture and burnout is we have a choice point. And, you know, the map is for me, you know, moving from isolation to connection, but the choice point is, do we try to go back to the way things were just wait for it, you know, return to normal or do we recognize that we're, it's a moving target, you know, change is underfoot. And if it's not the 40% looking for another job, it's the huge wave of millennials coming who would want nothing to do with the old work paradigm. Do you think there is a, a going back at this point even, or is that just, is that just a false assumption? It is, but it, this is why I'm calling it a choice <laughs> because it is a choice to say, I'm putting my yeah. head in the <laughs> Right. It's, it's, I, I want to try to right, arrest right. this chaos. I want to try to slow it down. I want to pretend it's not here. I want to go into denial. That's a paradigm. You know, it's a way of being. 
you know, you know, people who are rules and structures and try to create conditions for every potential problem that's going to happen. And they're just always painting themselves into a corner. That's a style. But another uh, choice is to consider how do we evolve under this pressure? Like, you know, crisis is another word for it is, is challenge, right? Is another word for invitation. And the, the emphasis I want to make here is around evolving capacity. So this is the key, I think. You know, we don't like having to grow as people generally. You know, it happens under pressure. But when we actively choose it, we can actually develop a sense of personal agency in the process. Like we can do something about this as opposed to feeling like a, a victim and I'm waiting around for someone to come solve my problem. So that's, you know, an upward spiral, right, of positive things that could be happening from this. Right. Do you, know, do you have some specific actionable practices that, um, you know, that you can recommend? I mean, obviously, every organization is a little different. And, you know, whether they're a large, small industry specific or whatever, but, you know, are there some general things that, that leaders can do that are, um, you know, that, that help mitigate some of this and or, you know, actively improve on, on some of these challenges. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have some real specific instruments, you know, different approaches that, that people can use tips, you know, and then there's, I want to talk about the technology of those, yeah. uh, because there's a way in which they not technology in the traditional sense, but in the, the, the interaction of those different instruments, like a social technology, for example, you know, we, we could quit our job, right? And try to move somewhere else and have something else happen or quit our relationship. But often if we don't grow from that event, we just repeat the same things that happen again. So we want to create a technology that yeah. um, begins three, there's like three aspects that are super powerful. I'm going to call it a, a triad of self-mastery. And I think it can work at the organizational level as well. You certainly could do this in teams. So this is the framework, and then I'll give you the instruments. This is the technology. So what, the, the primary one is self-observing and building the capacity to self-observe. Because we can have a routine and a habit, but if we don't notice that we have one, we don't have access to changing it. And this is, this is personal agency oriented. Where is the locus of control? Is it inside me or is it outside me? And it begins with noticing. So that requires a regular practice of inviting yourself to notice. How do you do that? Well, in a culture or a company culture or community, you can set up structures for self-reflection. So I, I created a number of these um, in different companies. For about four years, I was in this tech company and the CEO, she was really sharp on proactive behaviors because, you know, the best prevention, right? The best solution is prevention in all of this. How do you, how do you ride the wave of disruptions? So one of the best things you can put into place is not a prescriptive uh, fragmented program that begins and ends, but you just keep it in the culture ongoingly. So we developed these cross-functional self-reflection teams where once a week they'd get together and I would walk them through some frameworks that cause them to observe their actual work challenges as well as their life challenges. 
because work life are integrating really tight right now, right? So in that process, we developed a conversation between people in the room where they're not giving advice to each other. <clears throat> they're not uh, coaching each other. They're really inviting through open-ended questions the other person to reflect on themselves and notice what is going on, what changes they made, and what they might want to do differently in that process. So that's the first part. The second part of the self-mastery triangle is, is self-remembering. Now this one is particularly powerful because it's where you locate yourself. Do you ever feel like you've been lost? Feel like, I, I, I don't even know what I'm doing here. A friend of mine got promoted to a job after really working on this promotion and he got there and he's like, is this it? Like, what am I doing? And certainly right. social isolation can, res can cause this kind of a feeling, but sometimes we just don't know how to get back to ourself. So there is technology around how to self-remember, how to get back in alignment with, let's say, our purpose, right? And our uniqueness that I was saying before. So that's the second one. Yeah. And then the third that really, you can now see how they fit together. Self-observe, self-remember, and the third is self-manage. This is kind of the agile holy grail, right? Self-managing teams, a culture of self-management. Yeah. But the other two aspects are, are primary because where is that self-management skill going to come from? Repeating from the past or upgrading as you get to know your living system self, right? Because you're changing and shifting and noticing new things. Then your self-management has to change. So those three things is the technology that sets up the, the next couple of things I'm going to tell you about. But now this is where they get really specific. So when we set up these cross-functional self-reflection teams, um, I also did leadership retreats with this method, and we're going to do this with Google over Zoom even. Um, uh, there's three techniques we can use to create awareness. And then there are three that we can work with that create meaning making. And that's how you lead to, to understanding and processing what new, what this new awareness you're experiencing is. If we only did self-observing, we really wouldn't get to self-managing, right? We have to notice and then make meaning out of that noticing. So the yeah. first uh, kind of awareness raiser is gratitude. And uh, you know, a lot of people uh, kind of give a cheaper version of what I think gratitude is really about. Gratitude is, for example, it's not thanking people for things. It's not acknowledgement. It's not even honoring in a sense. It's gratitude and it's, it's I think original practice is a voluntary act of humility where you're acknowledging uh, what you're dependent on and interdependent with, counting your blessings, so to speak. And in that moment, there's a feeling of reverence, maybe awe, humility. And those three qualities actually, uh, they have a, an internal effect on how people view the world. And this is well studied. Gratitude and being thankful is actually super universal, even though you know, ancient humans didn't walk around and plan this, but you can go to any culture on the planet and they've got routines around this as a survival technology, yeah. you know, especially you go to native communities. Why are they, why is gratitude at the center of their survival community? 
so to speak, because it shifts your perspective. It shifts your sense of uh, what life's worth living for. You know, because we get into a negative mindset, it actually could end up killing ourselves or other people. So gratitude is key, and I consider it a leadership instrument because you have to mentally choose what you're going to focus on. Because I, I often don't feel grateful when I begin a gratitude practice. You know, that's not what it's about. It's not waiting till I'm grateful. It's actually shifting my mind. Right. And then the upgrade is, what's that like when you do that with other people? You know, I imagine a world where people at work can actually have practical and really engaging uh, moments of gratitude as part of meetings, for example. Because, you know, meetings are killing people, right? (laughs) Death by meetings. Imagine if gratitude was a a protocol to opening and closing a meeting, which is how I run my company. It's a totally different experience. So that's tops. Yeah, that's interesting. The other, the other two, you know, on the awareness raising side, they can be combined, which is about, it's about nature connection. So I particularly, this is a uniqueness that I think is, is unusual. Is I, I'm bringing the idea that human beings have evolved with the natural world since the beginning. And if we remove ourselves from it, then we're actually reducing our human development potential. We're actually not developing ourselves. Even if we take classes and we're reading books and we're, you know, exercising in the gym, if we're not actually engaged outdoors in the natural world in an embodied, curious sense, uh, there's, there's something missing. And people notice it, right? Where do you go when you go on vacation? You start looking for natural areas to go to, right? Go to the beach, go to the sea, go to a cabin. What if our year-round experience was connected to nature, like backyard style? So I, I propose that we integrate nature connection as part of work, like not wait till the weekend when we're exhausted, but throughout every workday. How would that look? And I've been experimenting with this in a number of different companies. Uh, Nike this past year, we did a lot of that. And they were totally open to it because we were framing it as cross-training. You know, that these were, this was the tech department of Nike and they were really struggling because of a constant reorg that never ended. And it was really getting them down. Like burnout was just rampant. And and so we brought in this ongoing practice of what we call the uh, sit spot. On campus, beautiful campus, there's some places where you could go and actually sit by a stream and actively engage your senses. So this is the this is the other awareness practice. And I found some places when I was cruising around in campus looking for a place for these people to hang out. I was like, they probably don't know there's these natural areas here. So I started going down this stream bank. There's a little path that humans had created. And I was like, oh, look at this. Some humans created this path. There's no sidewalk. And there I found a crate, a plastic milk crate on the bank. I'm like, look, see, there it is. Someone's already doing this. And as I sat there, uh, a beaver swam up this little stream. I noticed all these beaver chews and all this activity and birds were flying in the bushes. And I thought, wow, this is, this is like not only relaxing, it's educational. This is really an amazing spot. So you walk in super refreshed in like 15 minutes. Yeah, so that's, wow. those are those trio of things, gratitude, connecting to your senses and the sit spot. Now, the second half of it is 
how do you make meaning on that? And this is where we have to uh, get into the power of reflection. So the first instrument is journaling. But not just journaling, it's journaling with good questions, where you rigorously walk through a series of questions that kind of take you back to the beginning of the day or back to the beginning of the week. And you could do that live, which is what I think is increases the social aspect of this. You could do a journaling process with another person called story of the day, where the, the, the agreement is you're asking open-ended questions to engage the person's original thinking. Because if you ask a closed-ended questions, you get a yes or a no. Or sometimes you just get a single answer because right, you're right, making right. a statement. <laughs> but when you ask an open-ended question, there's a big risk because right. you don't know what they're going to say. And they don't either. And what the best part about it is you can see on their face when you ask a good question, you know, you say, oh, what happened to work today? Oh, this other thing. You say, oh, what was that telling you about yourself? You know, what is that? How does it reflect on your past, you know, quarter this year? What are you learning about this? And you see their eyes roll up and they go, yeah. oh, good question. Let's see. And if you have an agreement on that, work is fun because you're learning all the time, even from small nuanced engages. Why, why did I react? You know, why, what, why did I do the same thing? Why am I waiting things to return to normal? Maybe we aren't returning to normal. That's kinds of things. And then lastly, tied in there, these are kind of a framework, so they're hard to separate, is the art of questioning. This is a role that has a, an intentional approach to conversation where you're asking meaning-making questions, but you don't know what the result is. And you're really paying attention to the other person and what they're saying, and you're tracking them in a sense. You're, you're following them and wondering, oh, I wonder how this is related to their uniqueness. Oh, I wonder how this is related to the last set of problems they were talking about. Oh, I wonder how this is related to where this person wants to go next. And you just ask, but you don't project or solve the problem for them. And what you're building here is their own sovereignty and personal agency to self-manage, which is, you know, one of our goals with all of this. Mm. And, and self-remember, you know. I think human beings are really an important part of remembering who we are. So there, those are so those are the primary instruments, and I actually I have a write up, a series of of emails that I send out to people that can go to my website, and and I'll walk you through all of these things, um, on my on my website at Connected Leader. Yeah, that'd be great, and I'd, I'd love to include those in the in the show notes. Um, if if you don't mind, I can include a link to it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm just going to put it under podcast resources because people keep asking me, oh, those are a cool story. Can you show me a little bit about how you do gratitude at work? I, I really want to do that. So just go to a connectedleader.com slash podcast and you'll, you'll, you'll see that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, yeah, I, I wish we had more time to talk today, but, um, you know, really, really appreciate you sharing those. I mean, it, it's, I think it's a fascinating subject and, and really I, I'd love to have you back and ask you some more questions as well. So, you know, I think we'll, we should, we should definitely do that. But in the meantime, um, in addition to, um, to your website, are any other, any other ways people can reach out and, and connect with you? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're a, a manager and you're struggling with any of these kinds of signs and symptoms of burnout, you, you, you certainly can go to that podcast resource page. Uh, if you're an executive and you want to run a program like this, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, which you'll see, uh, Mark Morey, on LinkedIn, a connected leader. 
Wonderful. Well, um, thanks. Thanks again for joining the show. And I'd like to thank Mark Morey, founder of A Connected Leader. Um, thanks again for listening to the Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.